0: the assembly of bits of metal which is already designed by Apple in California assembled in China same thing again what else does Foxconn make cars started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey I like talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in West London I was away in the Netherlands, and then Tokyo, and then Gothenburg, and then Tokyo, and now I'm back in London. Wow. That was four weeks. So, good to be back. Thank you. You allowed me back in.
1: (laughs) Well, we can't cover everything that we've missed. Um, Okay. Do you want to just do a quick WWDC roundup?
0: What were your big takeaways? It's going to seem really uneven-handed, because I'm really harsh on android stuff
1: oh you mean because when google do their thing you basically when google do their thing i mean and then when apple do anything you kind of even if it's quite unremarkable
0: and only incremental changes what i'm just get the kid gloves out and i'm like really like a big apple fanboy so that's what i'm going to be doing Mm. this week so wwdc has they've done it again m2 amazing probably time to buy a macbook air and what a beautiful machine of course, the original MacBook is now the world's best-selling laptop computer, which is fantastic, and what an incredible turnaround for Apple. Uh, and to have that again, also fanless, now this time with the M2, is absolutely industry-beating. Uh, you saw the performance boost that the M2 brings, still with less power demand, even than the M1. So it's it's a move on from there. That's really impressive stuff. You know the stuff that. I think you will mock the most is elements that come straight out of Android from five years ago. So what obviously over in Apple World we're really excited about is in the iOS front screen when you you know when you unlock on the lock screen, we can now change the font of that so that's really great uh we can change the way that the time shows up the font of that's going to change we can put different photos on there but make them sort of appear slightly in front of the time and there'll be widgets as well like i i know you were talking about widgets yeah i I know i know you've been talking about widgets for I remember
1: you, you used to be like widgets. These aren't a thing, Jonathan, you keep going on about widgets. No one needs widgets because you only ever use your iPhone with your right hand and everything gravitates to the top left of the screen. I remember you were very anti-widgets and now it's like, we have widgets.
0: Yeah, widgets have been uglying up our home screen and now they get a place on the lock screen as well. And it is a cluttered aesthetic. It isn't nice there's a reason why on the watch they're called complications but anyway they're here now and we can personalize the the look and the color scheme of the lock scheme. i think for a lot of people that will be a big deal it isn't it, it really a big deal but then the watch has come on with some new os features which is good and i guess the macbook pro has also got the m2 as well
1: so in my notes it says macbook air m2 at doug please tell me you're buying this <laughs>
0: The price point is up, but I think
1: if we're dealing with a 10% year-on-year inflation, then the price point is actually down. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it, where it's the first time people are going, oh, they didn't reduce the price of the M1 MacBook Air, but actually they kind of did because everything else has gone up in price, if that makes sense. So it went from the M1 MacBook Air's 999 so just under $1,000, the M2 MacBook Air comes in at one one nine nine, right? So yep. about twelve hundred. And like weirdly enough, the MacBook Pro 13 inch is basically last year's M1 MacBook Pro 13 inch with an M2. And yet it's more expensive than the MacBook Air. Just just don't buy that. Whatever you do, don't buy that laptop. It's just old stock. They're milking it. <laughs> Why would you spend more money on a laptop that is worse than the MacBook Air in almost every single way possible? It doesn't make sense. So is don't it get the... Yeah. It has a worse screen. It doesn't have a headphone jack that they've brought back. It doesn't have the MagSafe charger that they've got. Yeah. It has a poorer webcam. It still has the M2 with all the same processing. It has the blooming... What's that thing called? The touch the magic bar. magic touch bar. Oh, hideous it's just worse on on so many levels and it has a fan so yeah, okay if you need it for extended periods of time and you need longer battery life and a fan for doing, I don't know, video rendering Final Cut Pro then don't even get that and just get the 14-inch MacBook Pro (laughs) like, there's no reason to ever get the 13-inch it's just clearly old stock they're trying to get rid of you didn't mention one really big thing which I thought was pretty impressive which was the CarPlay full car integration stuff they did a sneak peek, didn't they? And what do you
0: think is different about this? So in the sneak peek, they showed you how here's the normal CarPlay screen with iOS style apps, squircles looking really big on the head unit. And then above that, there's kind of like an, across the whole of the front of the vehicle, potentially, or in any format you like, there's like a big bar screen of additional stuff. In the language of iOS, it's widgets. It's like a bunch of widgets that speak to different things the car can do. And this time they talk straight to it. So the speakers touch the speakers. The uh, state of charge would would show the state of charge. And it shows you odometer and speed and revs. And it links directly to the car. And it's got some gradient colors in the background. And it, it looks fabulous. But I think what they're saying with that is that if the car comes with a really big display, we'll fill the display with stuff, and the OEM has somehow relinquished their last pretense at being a digitally competent player to us. And then if the car comes with a different form factor display, we'll move the widgets around into different order, and it will fit that thing that looks more like a portrait orientation rectangle. We can put it on the equivalent of the Model 3's iPad. We'll just put it in whatever display size they give us. But They're really saying is actually, here is a bunch of OEMs who've signed up. There's about 10 logos on the screen. It will be ready in the second part of next year and wake up call to the industry. This is what we're doing now. We've moved out of infotainment. They couldn't keep us in our box. We're coming after all the stuff that you display to the customers. And guess what? 95% of customers now have vehicles which can work with CarPlay. And seventy four percent say they wouldn't consider buying a car that wouldn't work with
1: CarPlay. A- asterix, so you've asterix. got to so all you've the got people a... we asked who are iPhone users who blah blah blah. Yeah, all so the usual So you've gums. got to get on
0: board. Here's our UI UX. That's what we're bringing to the table. You've got to get on board. The simple truth is like if
1: you're buying a new car now, you expect it to have either Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. And then when you're in your car, that's basically the way you interact with it. Like we have Android Auto in our car, and CarPlay support, but obviously I primi- primarily use an Android device, and that's the way you use Google Maps. It taps into your phone for things like Spotify and Audible and all your calls and WhatsApp and Google Assistant and whatever, and it'll be the same as Siri on the Apple side. But the fact that they're now saying we'll actually bleed this experience into all the screen tech is kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because if you want an OEM car manufacturer who, who who's spend a lot of money actually and time investing in these infotainment systems and they always suck they always suck tesla's arguably one of the best examples of it not sucking but even there i mean be a bit nervous if i'm tesla at the moment in that world because tesla don't have a technology ecosystem platform with phones in your pocket ipads laptops etc that can even begin to compete with what apple and google have once they start saying we're going to be the software layer of your car. And once you own that, I mean, that is the big value thing. I know a lot of car companies want to be at that level because that's where the real value is at the consumer side, especially when you get to autonomy, you start talking about how do you entertain people in the car when they don't need to drive or when they don't need to pay as much attention when they're driving or when the passengers and the kids in the back are just staring at screens. If you don't control that, suddenly you're just the dumb pipes, i.e., the battery and the motor that kind of like rolls and wheels along the ground. That was kind of huge seeing them do that. What is it that Apple's
0: really doing though? Because taking the data from the speedometer and then displaying it in a dial, like in a digital image on hardware that they require the vehicle manufacturers to make sure it's got good enough resolution, low enough latency, high nits, color contrast, all that stuff. So they'll specify what the OEM puts in as hardware for displaying it. But what is it that Apple's actually doing? Like, what is it that they bring to showing a speedometer on a screen that any vehicle manufacturer could not do? And and how is it now that we've got to this point where the OEMs, the manufacturers are prepared to say, like you said, the most important part of the customer interface, which is being able to communicate with the customer and being able to give a branded experience of the drive to the customer. Like, that is the core of the brand. How have we got to this point where with zero reason that OEMs will give that across
1: to Apple. It's a really high investment area for car companies to have a whole different products team, development team, software engineering, over-the-air updates, touchscreen integration, all the different... You basically have to become a different type of company from being a company that makes cars, which in the past... You never had to deal with because it was just buttons and tape players and cd players and you can kind of control all of it even when you had your own map thing whereas you're never going to compete with google maps even apple know they're not going to compete with google maps you're never going to compete with the likes of google assistant or siri if you're a car company like who's going to have the ability to get enough data to make a good digital assistant and you certainly don't have enough skills to really uh, have an app store <laughs> with a, a billion apps that are going to be at the fingertips of your users. You just can't. Everyone's tried it. You can't really do it. You end up having your app on their app store and that's your route to, you know, oh, how much batteries my car got? Let me preheat in the morning. Those type of car-centric things, but not the rest of it. So seeing Apple show that, it's interesting in two, two ways because on the one hand, you know that Android Auto is literally doing the same thing. You know that all the car companies will have to get in line because if they don't, they'll lose customers. Like Apple were right. They want it with CarPlay or Android Auto Support. And then the other thing is, it's actually only one, and my brother will probably kill me for saying this, but it's like, it's one small step to then go from that to say, well, should we just make the car as well? (laughs) I don't have to realise that completely, right? It's obviously a huge, huge effort. But from a kind of, where's the value at? The, the high margin value, yeah, once you've got all the screens and the interface of how a consumer lives in that product, in the car, like the, the car is just the accessory on top, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, then there's the supply chain management, the manufacturer, the assembly, the contracting and procurement, the dealerships, but you don't need dealerships anymore. So essentially, you, the stuff that you would contract out the stuff that you would contract out, which is the assembly of bits of metal, which is already designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. Same thing again. What else does Foxconn make?
1: Cars. So so it's a really, it's a really interesting one. And it wouldn't surprise me if the next two wWC start to see sneak peeks of what that looks like. Like what would, everyone's been waiting for it. I think it was Project Titan or something else. And then had another yeah. name. I was intrigued by that. Sorry, there was there was another crazy thing that happened in WDC. Two crazy things which I thought were kind of cool and I'm a bit jealous of. So continuity camera.
0: Yeah, so basically you can take your iPhone, which has a much better backwards facing camera... Than on any forward-facing, I mean, at least now with the M2 MacBook Air, there's our 1080p it's like a 1080p forward-facing camera. Like webcam. finally, finally catching up to the idea that <laughs> we not got to good be able to see each other. Like with the main camera that gets used all day, we're gonna be. I should be
1: able to see each other. They, they, they didn't idea. really like lean in heavily to how good that webcam was. They were just like, "It's twice as good." This is a terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> webcam that used so, to be in the old one. And you're like, "Uh, good." <laughs> So if you want to go beyond that, later
0: this year there will be an accessory that's sold separately that looks like a piece of plastic, that looks like a clip, and using the same... It doesn't have that much in it, I think it magnet clips to the back of the phone and then it clicks onto the top of your Apple (laughs) machine, but it uses continuity. So the same magic that lets you use an iPad as an extended display, the two devices speak to each other and suddenly... That backwards-facing camera that is crazy mic- megapixels, like 10 megapixels, that's now looking at you. And now, finally, you've got a good webcam for the first time in, ever in all of history, including in, in PC world. Not just a good webcam, the best possible webcam. Like an webcam. unbeatable, you actually like what can... is it now, 10, 15 megapixels, like a like a, a webcam that is better than anything that can exist. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's In, in very... the world of accessories or peripherals or in the world of built-in cameras. The
1: only thing higher spec than that is if you'd go and take your digital SLR camera and you just connect it through to your computer on a stand, which you can do. And some, I know some people do that, like Twitch streamers and stuff, because that's the next level of quality. But this is incredible for just anyone with an iPhone to just clip it on. It works, it connects, it's the webcam. And desk view, which seems like a gimmick at first, but then when you really think about it is... Is it another genius thing you cannot do? So that's where you're using the wide angle camera on the iPhone. Somehow they're doing some like distortion control to solve the fisheye nature of it. And then they're showing, you can just like, oh, let me show you what's on my desk. It's my hands on my keyboard. But it's theoretically, you could uh, draw a picture or use that almost like a whiteboard type thing. It's just quite interesting that they've gone down that route. And it was very innovative because it, It's cleverly taking their ecosystem and saying, oh, you thought it was a phone. It's not. It's your wallet. It's not. It's your webcam. It's not. It's your everything. It's actually really clever that the continuity has been designed very, very cleverly to work across that entire product ecosystem. If you're a full Apple person.
0: Yeah, something that really feels good, right? Only Apple could do, and and the the magic that was an iPad stuck to the side of your Mac, like working just instantly, it's an extension of that. I want to talk about Passkey because actually I didn't get to that bit yet. So in Passkey, instead of me remembering passwords, I'm going to be able to log into websites just by having my phone near me. How does that work?
1: You know how I'm a big fan of things like LastPass or one password things where you've got password management where you're generating a unique password for every website and then you're having your master account which is the password manager handle all of that so that you're essentially being super super secure you can have a very strong password for every single site what they're saying is through passkey they'll just have it all tied to your master account and encrypted through your apple passkey So instead of having a master password and an account with something like LastPass, you would just have your iPhone and Face ID or Touch ID or whatever it might be, securing it through biometrics and through your Apple account. And then they will just essentially pass the unique password they've generated for a website to that third-party account. Is it held in the secure
0: enclave in the phone, or is it held on Apple servers somewhere in the cloud?
1: It'll be encrypted somewhere on Apple servers, but it's decrypted via that's the biometrics and security on your phone or on a device right same way all Apple keychain stuff is so it's not fished from clouds it's not going to be fished by you having to paste your password into somewhere and unknowingly because they're handling all of that. I think it's a nice clever step for people who aren't security savvy and using other tools already for like multi-factor authentication or unique password generation all that stuff. And it's handling it all for you so that you never have to worry about, oh, I've got to set up a new, generate a new password for this account. It sounds like the integration they're doing at that level means it will just handle that. You won't even know the password. You'll just know that you have an Apple account that you're logging in with. And Apple will have essentially presented it with a super, super strong alphanumeric string to to log you in. Ah, ta-da, done. Really, really good. Very strong security principles and I loved it. I loved the little video. I need to dig in a bit more into how it's actually working behind the scenes, but I really, really like Apple's constant awareness of privacy, security, and just making it just always a bit more user-friendly.
0: When a government agency requires Apple to relinquish their cloud-based password that they've stored for you for a particular service, And they lean on Apple through non-disclosure and requirement by law to release that information.
1: They have the power to decrypt the password, right? I haven't looked into it. I would assume not because I would assume not by design. Let's look at that. We'll come back. Okay. Anything else on WWDC? Oh, there was the weird one. I don't know if you knew more about it than I do. Apple Pay Later? Was a thing. Oh God! In
0: one fell swoop, Apple <laughs> destroys a billion-dollar industry. But isn't that industry
1: destroying itself and already? Like it's literally well, no, no,
0: just uh, valuations going down. That's this is amazing, right? The part which you should remark upon is Apple stepping out of their comfort zone two times. One, they don't need Goldman Sachs for this, so you'd have expected them to be leaning on Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs's banking license to enable the buy now pay later feature of apple pay later but they aren't they're doing it themselves you don't need an issuing authority from a bank to you don't need a banking license to be able to do buy now pay later stuff so they said thank you but no thank you to goldman sachs did it themselves, Goldman Sachs still needed for the MasterCard element of the Apple card itself and for other things. Goldman Sachs issuing a statement saying, we're really happy about the relationship and all the areas that we're going deeper on. That's one area they're stepping out their comfort zone in. And the, the data dividends are huge. The merchant sees nothing. They, As far as merchant's concerned, it all got paid for. But Apple knows the truth of your shoddy finances. And they will share with you exactly what your payments plan looks like because it's split up into four and they will help you manage your budget putting scare-co- so scare-co- and putting Scarecrow quotes all over one, that. right? Yeah, that's right. And that's where the second area where they step outside their comfort zone. From a brand perspective, this is now Apple having to make judgment calls about who's good for that and also not really sending the bailiffs around and not playing bad cop when you fail to pay up, but they are going to have to write off some of bad loans here and there. And there might be situations where in some way, one of the things that you've done impacts some of the rest of your Apple experience, maybe because you're behind on your payments, maybe your Apple One subscription gets ended early. You can imagine where your experience of the Apple brand in total gets impacted through some things that happened from Apple Pay later. This could leak into other parts of the brand experience. Mm. And Apple's never been bad cop before on things like this. So that's also outside their comfort zone. But I suppose if you're Apple, it's so worth it because everyone is going to be even more in debt. And this is how transactions happen. And they've just been able to move in and take over an industry that's worth billions and they will crush their competition in Buy
1: Now, Pay Later. It's not even their competition. It's just, it's a new market. That's what I had to like blink twice. I was like, hmm, that's weird. They're like taking on the banking responsibility, competing against the likes of Klano and all these other Buy Now, Pay Later companies. And then, like you said, distorting the brand slightly for people. But yeah, weird.
0: Yeah, I mean, as a... Of- May this year, Klarna's valuation dropped from 46 billion down to only 30 billion, three zero, 30 billion with a B. And that's just part of the buy now, pay later industry, right? Apple's moving in. It's on. Now, Jonathan, what is this week's Not A
1: Sponsor? Do you ever struggle to find trousers that fit you properly? Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm an in-between waist size, especially, so they're either too tight or too loose. And... I either need to wear a belt or I'm just like breathing in just like struggling and I have I think wider than usual thighs so a lot of places now they assume people have these like legs that are just uniformly narrow the whole way down there's no you know super skinny legs I'm not one of those people and then I'm a bit taller than average so often the leg length can be short but then if you go for the long leg length ones they just end up dragging on the floor you have to roll them up so bit nightmarish and recently I've tried to be more considerate about what I buy and like, you know, buy less but buy better quality and be more ethical and sustainable through just consuming less but getting the right things. And I found this company called Spoke. Have you heard of them before? No, I have not. So Spoke's kind of cool because they have very high quality jeans, chinos, trousers, t shirts, etc. But they have all the different incremental sizes so
0: i see i think i know what you mean
1: so instead of a combination of only 32 with a 34 and you could get everything in between you can get everything in between but you can also have like with slightly wider thighs or narrower thighs for that one and then slightly tapered in at the bottom versus not and like they're there's more customizable builds they have like different builds. what was your
0: personal experience of the spoke
1: thing that you got So So it's like Spoke, short for Bespoke, right? Yeah, so I tried it out thinking, "Uh, this is interesting. It seems to have good reviews. They're more expensive, but very high quality. They have a lot of like Swedish design aesthetics in terms of simplicity and build and the the way the zip and the buttons and everything is just designed. It's probably more high-end, inspired by Swedish designers. But the fit's perfect. For me, I I don't have any like Bespoke tailor-made stuff and especially not for things like chinos. But then I was like, wow, I am actually, like, this exact size, not compromising at every turn with, you know, having to, like, oh, find a brand that fits you better because of what their thing is, or roll up the bottom of your trousers, or wear a belt because it's, like, dangly for Breathe in and not eat too much. There's none of that. So, yeah, I went with spoke. There is a discount code that we'll have in the show notes where you get £25 off your first purchase, and I highly recommend them for... Buying less, but buying the right thing.
0: Jonathan, thank you for this week's not a sponsor,
1: Spoke. Link's in the show notes. I think we need a longer for this week in crypto.
0: Yeah, it's been, lots have been happening. So how far back do we
1: have to go? I think last time we spoke about this, it was pretty doom and gloom. So maybe let's just have a two-week look back, and then we can jump into the news.
0: What I would say is, a hell of a lot's been happening, but it's mostly been down and to the right... <laughs> So, always no to you the right,
1: just because, like, um, time months. goes that way. <laughs> if you look, it would be if weird if it went down to the left. We've uh, been going backwards in time.
0: <laughs> if you if you look back over the last month, um, we've stayed between. 28,000 and 32,000 in Bitcoin land. And if you look back over the last week, it was probably about two days ago that things started really going south for Bitcoin, going down from 30,000 down to where we are currently, which is 28,500 US dollars, uh, although it was down at 28,000 earlier. So overall, Ethereum's down to $1,500, which is pretty low and the markets have seen a sort of spectacular recovery for only Tesla. And Tesla went up to nearly $760. That was yesterday. And now it's back down to 700. And the one week story for Tesla is probably on news of the stocks split, the good news day on a Thursday. And now we're back down to under 700 dollars. And everything else in the markets is looking bad.
1: Hmm. It's interesting. Ethereum is one thing that I would call out from a market perspective, which is we were bouncing around the 2021 low, which was about $1,720, which had been tested back in May 2021. And then again in end of June 2021. And then again, end of July 2021, we were bobbling around before it took off and went up to like almost 5,000, right? We were testing that and we broke through it recently. And the next kind of key level for me for Ethereum is, weirdly enough, the 2018 all-time high. So 2018, Mm. we hit $1,400 as an all-time high. And for me, that's a huge level, right? If you break that below the all-time highs of 2018, it starts to look very, very shaky. So Ethereum is a weird one, which I think is the only one I'm really looking at closely right now, because everything else either is existing in a kind of macro narrative, like Bitcoin, just long-term movements, or It's not really got huge fundamentals happening at the moment just because of not really having proper utility if you look at a lot of the other Layer 1s out there. Whereas Ethereum is massive. It's used in DeFi. It's used in NFTs a lot. It's basically got a user base that's happy using Ethereum. And it has a huge part of their roadmap that's going to launch this year, which is the merge, the move over to proof of stake, the whole Layer 2 scale-up launches happening it would be really worrying if Ethereum broke below the 2018 all-time high for me. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, and it stays strong above that, then it's really good. It means it could be a really good opportunity to accumulate more. That's where my mindset is for Ethereum.
0: Yeah, good analysis. What was the inflation news that made everything go red on the stock market? We didn't hit your level, but I think, did we hit 85 Eight point six. So that's the May inflation CPI numbers, which is this year's May versus last year's May. In the US, right? In the US, it was expected to be 8.3 and it was 8.6 and it was higher than April's, which was 8.3. And
1: overwhelmingly, like so much of it is is just driven by energy prices, right? US uh, petrol, gasoline hitting $5 a gallon. Which has never happened ever. Is that right? Uh, It's a four decade high. And in the UK, the average... Price to fill up a car is now over hundred pounds, which is kind of just eye watering. Can't even contemplate that. Yeah, so that wasn't that wasn't. So and that's obviously pushing everything else with
0: tra- cost to transport food, etc. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> A16Z have been really smart about crypto. The Andreessen Horowitz venture capital fund. What's what's the latest on
1: A16Z? They've got another fund. And it's a record-breaking fund that they've just raised $4.6 billion for their crypto unit.
0: They're a traditional venture capital firm, but they've just done very well to notice and respond on crypto. If you tuned into the Bankless podcast, when they had Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon from A16Z on the show on the 30th of May, uh, it's amazing to hear Mark Andreessen talk about the early days of Web1 and Web2, because he's actually been there all the way through and talk about his experience of trying to ship Netscape and the regulatory pushback and the whole argument about how the internet started, telling the story through like a really good lens and explaining why he's got to where he has got to on how crypto is so important and why it's a game changer. So that is compelling. How did they manage to raise 4.6 billion in this market? of other people's money for them to go ahead and invest in crypto. That's shocking.
1: Know. And um, it's not,
0: obviously it's not just crypto. It's all of, it's the wider world of web three and DeFi and NFTs. What did they say on the bankless podcast? I didn't listen to it yet. What Mark Andreessen did was tell a really compelling story about how the problem with the internet was that obviously it was invented without trust. It, it was a system that had no trust in it because it had no encryption. And there was points at which the exact same debates that we're having today with regulators around, you know, you can't have this encryption because it's going to be used for bad things. Mm. The exact same debates were occurring then. And there was a Netscape Navigator domestic edition, and then there was a less secure Netscape Navigator for export So that, (laughs) which said on the box, uh, this is less securely encrypted. And um, that was the only one you could export because otherwise it it would contravene Sophia's back then, the equivalent of that, uh, because it's like exporting a weapons technology. And essentially what he's saying is that what they would have built then, if the blockchain had existed, if Satoshi's white paper had been published at that point, but they didn't know what it was they were struggling for, what they would have built then would have had decentralized and trustless payment mechanisms baked into it. But because we didn't do that, obviously we've been on the journey we have been on of data and ad-based model and all of the compromises that entails. And now we find ourselves full circle with a prospect of slightly different governance and possibility of enabling trustless behaviors. And what could that unlock? It could unlock a lot of things. So that's kind of him explaining the journey Mm -hmm. he's been on through web one, through web two, and and to web three.
1: So I don't know how they've managed to raise this much. What I do know is that they're planning to allocate one point five billion of that 4.5 point four point six billion to make investments in Web three protocols, and then three billion of it will be to invest in more traditional startup investments, whatever that means. I'm not sure how to interpret that. But then the most brilliant thing about this is like it could be really smart to raise a lot of capital for this i think this is their fourth big fund and potentially be investing at i guess what is their interpretation is the lower price absolutely in the range. basement prices yeah you, know, you know so if they've if they have got people who are willing to take that risk and they've put money in that fund it's probably not a terrible time for them to be able to allocate that it speaks volumes as well because if you're a startup and you're getting funding now I mean, it's kind of the best time to build, right? There's nothing that can go wrong when you're in a bear market. Everyone's written it off as dead, but you've got actual capital to just go and hire the right people and build a great product that then... Right, and time to get ready. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have that in 2017, 2018. You had the ICO boom, everything collapsed. A lot of people couldn't get out from Ether into the US dollar treasury in time. And then a lot of those things went dead and then all the things did remain they didn't have any funding to keep really doing proper stuff so it was very slow and that's really the proper crypto winter this could be genius because six months a year of just active development without any risk of anything going wrong could be great for this industry a year down the line so yeah really smart move
0: Regulatory sidebar as part of This Week in Crypto. So uh, in the UK, some regulation being proposed based off of the Terra slash Luna collapse and stablecoins. And in the US, a big regulatory overture through bipartisanship
1: bill that's being proposed. Let's look at the UK first. It was just interesting that we had like, what do what they call it? Like a consultation paper. It's interesting that the Terra fiasco triggered this, whereas I think... And, and it's not FUD, right? It's literally something went from billions of dollars to actually zero, pulling that whole stablecoin down to just be completely worthless. On the UK side, the assumption is stable coins should fall under the remit of the Bank of England. I think that was the main part of that whole paper.
0: Yeah, the government considers the financial market infrastructure, special administrative regime to be the appropriate structure for managing these kind of systemic
1: firms, systemic risk firms. Which would make sense if it was a GBP stablecoin, right? I mean, that kind of would make sense. If it's a US dollar stablecoin, it feels weird that it would be managed by the Bank of England to go and resolve. But anyway, they're looking into these type of things, which is good. It's the right type of discussions. And I don't think it would have happened a year ago before, you know, the Treasury played its hand in terms of getting involved in crypto and you know voicing that it would get become more of a crypto hub for the uk and then obviously they'd have a thing mm. of this. yeah
0: yeah um sidebar on the sidebar what about the um european commission's position on stablecoins? didn't they say that stable coins that see over a million dollars per day in transactions are going to have to be shut down is the proposal that's a document that came out in may saying any kind of it was originally targeting libra any kind of stable coin or project which rivals fiat currency. The moment it hits a certain threshold, the proposal is at that point, it would have to be limited by its issuers. Wow. So on the US side, this is Loomis and Gillibrand, so bipartisan cross the aisle effort to reclassify crypto as commodities rather than securities. What does
1: that mean in practice? It's practical from a view that You know, people talk about Bitcoin as being like digital gold and you talk about Ethereum as being gas, you know, when you talk about gas fees. Mm. It is a really practical terminology to start thinking of crypto, less of a currency and more of a commodity or commodity asset, because it does act like a resource. It's a resource that has a supply side through mining or through issuance, and it has a consumption of it as, in many cases, fuel for Whatever the blockchain is, it's often paid for in that type of asset. And most things don't really behave like securities in the crypto world, which is why it's been so tricky. I know there are some things where people are using tokens as forms of securities, and that's where they get into hot water. And, and this kind of calls those out as being okay, those probably do fall under the SEC. But for Ethereum, certainly it doesn't. For Bitcoin, certainly it doesn't. For all the layer one platforms, It really they behave much more like commodities. They're they're very much digital forms of fuel or digital forms of gold. Yeah, and it's it's not that the
0: governance is the distinction point. It's that if you get to enjoy privileges like those enjoyed by corporate investors, so if you if your holding of that thing gives you dividends, liquidation rights, or financial interest in the issuer, then it might go over to the
1: SEC and be treated as security. Right, because that. But it's not going to pass the Harry test. (laughs) It's like having a share in a company at that point. So kind of... Yeah. Otherwise,
0: it's over here in commodity land, subject to a lot of things happening. That could be a phenomenal,
1: phenomenal clarification, couldn't it? It, Well, it's the fact that it's a bipartisan bill, which we spoke a while ago about how overwhelmingly crypto is in favor in right-wing groups and, and sort of a pariah in left-wing groups and that's just not really ideal for anyone it's just a really bad state of affairs the fact that this is across the aisle it's something that starts to look at crypto from a perspective of actually how the technology works and who should regulate that type of behavior of how it's used i think that makes a lot of sense There's a lot of criticism on this though is worth noting that the cftc who regulate commodities, quantities is I think the smallest or one of the smallest and least funded financial regulators in the US. And although this bill proposes how they would have additional funding to be able to deal with all of this extra regulation, the the cynic would look at it and maybe think, oh, I see, you're just trying to push more of big crypto into a regulator that can't really deal with it, which I think historically, is actually what Wall Street did by pushing so much of potential regulation on Wall Street towards the CFTC. So it, it's there is precedence of people being correctly sceptical about the motives, but definitely for crypto. If you're, if you're looking at it from a who is the best equipped to understand this by the way it behaves, the CFTC is a pretty logical place and treating them like commodities for most things actually is a good starting point.
0: We'll have to wait and see.
1: Uh, good. Worth noting, the yeah. Hop Protocol, which we talked about before, have just launched their governance airdrop just yesterday, basically. So that launched. They're going to happen more and more often as they try and decentralize governance on Ethereum Layer 2. So more of these stories will pop up. Yeah, it's Layer 2 summer. And it's also this week in NFTs. What is happening in the NFT? Can can you fill me in a little bit? I I've kind of come to the conclusion that maybe the NFT summer of last year has slowly died a death, and we're kind of in a period. It's not completely dormant, like things. Some things clearly are just like dying out, like ninety percent of rubbish stuff, and then the ten percent that's left has lower volumes, but it's still going strong. But just it's only yeah, core communities who are bothered. I'm curious to know your thoughts on what the next cycle looks like for NFTs, if there indeed will be one.
0: Mm. Well, to speak to the first point first, I think we are definitely in NFT winter and it's deceptive because in the blue chip projects, there still seems to be a lot of excitement and action, especially around, you know, this kind of stuff that we care about with uh, the other deeds from Board Ape Yacht Club and the the ongoing build out of their other side metaverse and there's still a lot of activity in some of those communities however even in those blue chip communities there's the floor price dropping by about 40 percent off of recent highs so 40 or sometimes 50 percent so nft winter is real and outside of the blue chips it's a kind of desolate place what does the next nft cycle look like Um, I think the last time we've talked about this, we've said that the next batch of NFTs doesn't look anything like what we think NFTs are. Uh, Let's look at how different NFTs have been up till now. We've seen NFTs that are just a domain, just a number that is a domain. We've seen NFTs that's music, music and art, generative art. Uh, We've seen NFTs that's just a really basic jpeg but this time it's generative or it's coded in soul solidity or something else and then we've seen nfts that are an entitlement a governance and membership of a group the kiftables that i mentioned before we came on air is a membership of a decentralized city of, of van lifers so you know moving through more into voting rights moving through more into other kinds of art uh, who knows there will just be some other iteration of what nfts are it's property Property can do lots of things, and property is transferable, and it will be something that surprises us that we don't know what it is. Meanwhile, even in the depths of the the darkest gloom and despair of an NFT downturn, there is still the capacity for this market to surprise us, with a project that claims up front that it has no roadmap, no discord, and no hope. It is a project called Goblins,
1: and it's doing really well. What are the goblins? I think you kind of summed it up. There's a place in the NFT world where the counterculture of all the hype and the having a discord and celebrity endorsement and everything is to basically be, this is shit, everything's crap, we don't care about it, there's no roadmap, it's all rubbish. Kind of extremely embracing of just the idiosyncrasies of it, and a lot of things have done that. There was something called losers, which was like basically saying we're going to be a club of losers because everyone's collecting these nfts you know taking the piss out of like the actual culture and that became a bit quite popular and there was that other one that was like mfer's which was just like a stick drawing of someone sat at a laptop just many times over and that one became popular and there were the others that died off and then this one this one kind of it took the piss out of the whole Wagmi culture you know we're gonna make it and it's just like <laughs> nope it's all crap there's these ugly goblin creatures that just look disgusting but have weird iconography in fact one of my favorite ones it's um one of the traits is the lunar tattoo on mike novogratz so mike novogratz has that lunar tattoo which he's now regretting but can't openly admit it that some of the goblins have the lunar tattoo on them they've just got all the iconography correctly placed to resonate with people in this community but anyway, they captured the hearts and minds of people, and even in the bear market, it seemed to go from zero, you know, free to mint, all the way through to, I think they hit highs of like three, four, five eighth floor prices. They've kind of come down a bit now, but weirdly enough, a lot of the speculation is that it's either a famous artist, or Yuga, or someone else behind it, I'm trying to embrace the counterculture thing in a kind of weird way. Have you got one? God, no. I wish given it was a free mint and like a lot of free mint things they're all rubbish and this one was claiming to be all rubbish i wish i'd got one but it's for reasons unknown it became the thing that people gravitated to in a time of everything being a bit bleak there is another thing you can claim for free (laughs) equally unvaluable and may not be as meme worthy but Meekix has finally launched I haven't claimed my yet, but
0: so let me understand it. It's the trainers that my Meebit is already wearing. Correct. But this time not on their shoes. Like, it's not on their feet. Like, it's off as a pair of trainers. And so it's the trainers. <laughs> so I've got some Meebits, and they are these avatar characters in 3D that look quite blocky because they're voxel-based, not real voxels. And um, they have shoes on their feet, obviously, but I can then mint a pair of this identical shoes, but they'll be off the feet. And then I could have those just sitting in a wallet and I could look at them or I could sell them to someone. That's what this is. And it's an initiative that's come out of the MeBits DAO. So good on them. They finally did something.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, they did work with Lava Labs on the whole Meebits API and they've done other things in the background. But yeah, this is their first thing that they've been able to do based on Yuga buying the rights to me bits. i think that's the key distinction here yeah the fact that, yeah. that that ip has been opened up for use by people they're not going to be lava labs aren't going to come and like sue them now for basically yeah. using that ip and allowing ripping, ripping the shoes off though literally exactly. ripping the shoes off but they they have additional properties i think of like dance jump and speed properties that are all randomized that are in addition to the usual stuff of oh what color you know, is it for male or female mebit? Uh, what type of shoe is it? Is it a basketball shoe? Is it a Love labs blue shoe? Is it a canvas shoe? Is it whatever boots or and all these different shoes? You can claim them if you have a mebit indefinitely. So you can check on the Meebit style website to see whether the shoes have been claimed for a particular mebit. And then obviously, if you buy that mebit, then you can go claim the shoes. The idea of it is quite clever, which is. It's a derivative project. It's not affiliated to Yuga Labs or to Lava Labs. It's very much the DAO's thing. But then any sales generate revenue for the Mebits DAO, which is a revenue stream for the DAO, which is key to keeping that thing going, right? Is it time for NFT or the tiger who came to tea? (laughs) NFT or the tiger who came to tea.
0: Before I go into the things, I want to tell you that One of them's a trick. But also, can I just tell you a a third thing that's actually real, but I haven't used it. Did you know that Snoop Dogg is going to open a Bored Ape NFT-themed dessert restaurant? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be in LA, and it's called Dr. Bombay's Sweet Exploration. And it uses his Bored Ape, which is named Dr. Bombay, as the kind of character for the restaurant. Is this part of the game? No, it's not. I just just wanted to... I just it, it sort of fits in the same category of things but I'll, that is real are you ready now I'm ready now ready for the two ready okay go two. Estee Lauder drops NFT makeup campaign addressing diversity in metaverse um I can say it again or I can move on to the next one move on to the next one that makes sense Pussy Riot crashes Texas state capital mints commemorative Ethereum
1: NFT hmm. why 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 Texas state capital why push you out in Texas? I, that, I mean, the context around that doesn't necessarily make that much sense. I mean, it's a weird one. But um Estee
0: Lauder... Estee Lauder drops NFT makeup campaign
1: addressing NFT. diversity in metaverse. Whew, there's just so much going on with that sentence. I just can't... I can't see that being a headline. But then the push you out one doesn't make sense contextually. Um... It's kind of weird. I don't think you're gonna give me more information. So my my gut is that actually the Estee Lauder one is correct and is a real NFT headline. Weird as it does sound. And that the Pussy Riot one is is something you made up. It is a tiger who came to tea. Are you sure? Not really. <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of Is it I'm nonetheless like 50, your final answer? I'm like I'd I'd say I'm like 5941 Amazing Yeah I'll take that as your final answer Yes Go for that
0: So The NFT is in fact Pussy Riot crashes <sighs> Texas State Capital Mint's commemorative Ethereum NFT That's a true story And they were So Pussy Riot is in Texas They did that In the wake of the uh, reproductive rights all of the things that are kicking off in that context and um, still Lauder 1 isn't real it's the beauty brand Clinique that has revealed a new non-fungible token campaign in partnership with Daz3D Metaverse More Like Us campaign includes Test Daily and Shaker Daily on the designs and uh, have curated two looks for NFT people with varying skin tones face shapes hairstyles and makeup inspired by real life Clinique products So, unfortunately, you did not get that right. But I leave you with the excellent news about Snoop Dogg's restaurant in LA.
1: So, they are both real, basically. With the exception that you swapped Estee Lauder for the Clinique. It does make it harder, doesn't it? When (laughs) you take reality, change
0: one small aspect of it. That's why I think the format's broken. But it's it's hard because... It's only
1: broken when you cheat. It's only broken when you cheat. (laughs) Oh do keep winning yes it's hard it's, and it's really difficult because it's, it's not hard actually to, know what to guess do. which one's real it's help actually winning
0: all i do is win 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 no matter what you know what.
1: those games where it's like you're playing spot the difference and you're looking at two near identical things and you're trying to spot that's basically what we're doing you should you're have one of those people three who, in the card ones. game
0: cheat objects when people actually cheat by hiding cards underneath the cards that they've put down <sighs> on the pile
1: we're not playing cheat. It's inherently in the we're nature playing, of the format. We're not playing the game. You've got two similar things.
0: Incentivising
1: and the, rewarding. The very is in question. Cheating. So
0: you, you're trying to make them resemble real life things. What you're saying is I made them resemble real life things too much.
1: No, because one of them. You meant to actually yeah, make it up. I did. I made it up. You changed Clinique to Estee Lauder. You literally did a find replace. There are more things in
0: heaven and earth. Horatio, the new i can never dream of
1: <laughs> you're right we need a new format this is definitely not working. <laughs> thank you very much talk great, to you next pod. week
0: started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey i like talking to you and so from